Hey, good morning, Gretna. It's Pastor Rob. Great to see you today on our last gathering of 2020. As we record this, we're between Christmas and New Year's. And on the one hand, um, I think like many of us, in some ways, I'm ready to kick 2020 out the door and say, okay, I'm done with this, right? The frustrations of, of unmet expectations and the worry of illness and, and the pain of not being able to be with people in their time of need or the, the anger of the seemingly inconsistent guidance from experts on how to handle COVID, or, or just the chaos of our world and our political situation, it's enough to wear you out, right? But if I pause and think, I also think, you know, there have also been some incredible things happen in 2020. I was blessed to officiate the wedding of Garrick and Katie as they they started their brand new life together as friends and family watched and blessed them. It's just such an amazing thing. How do you ever go wrong with watching two people start a life together? Or have even been babies born into, into our little tribe here in the last 12 months. And where 2020 brought chaos, it also brought that. For some of us who weren't able to work at their office for a period of time and they, and they had to work from home, you know, yeah, that can be frustrating, but it is less time in the car. It's less mileage on your car and less gas in your car and more opportunity to invest in your family. In the spring when sports became just went away and it's, it's become very on and off with sports that frustrates the daylights out of us. But, you know, I don't know about you, but when I wasn't spending time watching basketball or watching football, I was able to spend more time outside or more time with my family. And, and it reminded me of I guess what really matters, what we really need to focus on. And the fact that the 2020, you know, I've heard people talk about it being a lost year. I I don't agree with that. I don't think it's a lost year. I think it was a crazy year. I think it was a frustrating year. But I think within that, there are linings of beauty. There are incredible events that without this particular time frame, I don't know that we would have experienced. That's, that's kind of the problem with human nature, though, is when we're, we're thinking about the things that we're going to spend our time and our energy kind of being concerned about or worrying about or engaged with um, or how our life is, is going. The bad things are the things that tend to float to the top. The bad things are the things that tend to to evoke feelings and guide our thoughts and and really just monopolize our time, that take our focus away from the good things, that take our focus away from the things that really, really matter. As we finish up this year and start the next year, we're, we're going to be taking on a series called The Main Thing. And the, the goal of the series is simple. It's a four-week series focused on helping us reclaim the focus on the things that matter in the midst of the chaos by keeping Christ and his kingdom at the center of our daily lives. It's going to challenge us 
to ask ourselves if we've learned anything from this year, if we're still pining to return to the things that maybe some of which we shouldn't be overly concerned about returning to. This year, or this week, the topic is something that I think has dominated much of our thoughts and our hearts and, and the headlines this year, and that's the topic of worry. That's one of those things that can float to the top, that can monopolize our time, that can take our focus off of Jesus and can honestly keep us from putting his kingdom first in our daily lives. To do that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at verses 25 through 34. I'll be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, where Jesus has some pretty harsh words about worry. Let's just dive into that text and let's get going. It says this, it says, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or any or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can you add one moment? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. And yet, I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And clearly, each moment has trouble of its own, as I'm trying to read out loud. Don't worry, he starts that that section with, don't worry about what you will eat or drink or wear. Has anyone ever asked you to calm down? Like you've, you've been really upset about something, either angry or sad or concerned or worried about something, and you run into somebody and, and their first words aren't, how can I help or what's wrong? Their first words are, you know what, you just need to calm down. By the way, does that ever work? (laughs) Jesus saying here, don't worry. At first glance, in the midst of the chaos of the world and all the things that I have prioritized or that you probably have prioritized and are doing, don't simply saying don't worry can feel much like somebody telling you to calm down, right? It can feel like just this statement is you've got to be kidding me. Just it's that simple, just don't worry. Because life can feel like for, sometimes for seasons and sometimes our whole lives can feel like this constant battle of making ends meet and providing for our family. And and this year on our health and on changing scenarios and situations and jobs and what do I do next? And, you know, he equates life with that of a bird or a flower. He he says, look look at birds and flowers. They don't worry about these things. And... (laughs) Wildflowers don't labor or spin thread. They just, 
and it and and it can give us this picture of well yeah wildflowers are planted in the ground they just sit there and they wait if they get a little sunlight and some water and the occasional pollinator they're feeling pretty good about life i'm not a bird or a flower but first i want to challenge the notion that they just sit and wait let's take plants for example we have a a rubber plant in our house we got it when it was I don't know about this big somebody gave it to us we've had it for several years and we've it's grown and we moved it from pot to pot to pot and and finally now it's in this massive pot that it probably isn't going to get moved out of not because it wouldn't grow if we did because it probably would but because we <laughs> we put it outside every summer and we bring it in every winter and quite frankly I don't want to move a bigger pot than that but that rubber plant is now about six feet tall and it's really interesting that when it it has plenty plenty of water and plenty of sunlight in the summer it grows like crazy when we pull it in for the winter when it doesn't have access to those things it doesn't grow as fast it doesn't have all of the overabundance of what it needs to grow but it does have enough and and if you watched the rubber plant work right it's really interesting to watch it we can turn it as you go through the winter and as you turn it it begins to move, actively move toward whatever the light source is. In fact, if it's gotten off balance in the summer, we can turn it a certain way and it will actually grow itself back straight because it, it knows what it needs and it's gravitating towards that. And, and if you consider a willow tree, a willow tree is is you know, one of those things that absolutely just absorbs water. It seeks out water. In fact, if you if you lived in the city and you planted a willow tree, you were taking some pretty considerable risks because chances are the willow tree would work its way in or around your water lines in, in search of the water it needs. Its roots kind of sense and seek out water. And, and what I want us to understand about that is that, that though we see plants firmly planted and firmly rooted, I think we make a mistake in thinking they're passive. In some ways, they actually might be smarter than us because what they're doing is they anticipate God's provision. And when he provides much, they lean into that. And when he provides little, they lean into that too. They move toward what he is providing, and they honestly don't waste a whole lot of time or energy doing anything but that. Plants don't seem to have a problem that we have. It's a priority confusion. In our verses today, in verses 32 and 33, it says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, food and clothing and, and the such, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. That word seek, it shows up in 32 and in 33, but actually, the English doesn't help much. It's two different words for seek. They mean roughly the same things. But in verse 32, God is, the, the word that, they, that, that was chosen there to use that is about chasing things, running after things, craving things, and focused on achieving and getting all of those things as their, their primary, primary focus and goal. If we're going to get back to the animal kingdom as an example, uh, I was reading an article this week on squirrels. Squirrels can uh, put away up to 10,000 nuts each fall. 
anticipating. They're anticipating uh, the worst possible winter. They're preparing for the worst case scenario for winters. They're, <laughs> they're also uh, <laughs> doing something they call tactical deception, which I just thought was really, really great. This came from a, a zoologist named Max Gray. He was talking about how squirrels actually pretend to bury nuts when they think other squirrels are watching just because they don't want other squirrels to know where exactly they're burying their nuts. And by the way, it's it's a lie that they don't remember where they put everything. They kind of, science seems to indicate they do, which is mind boggling to me because I can't remember where I put my car keys half the time, but, <laughs> but they remember where they put stuff. They just don't usually need it. They store up way more than they could ever need. As Jesus makes that allusion to, to birds of the sky, you know, they don't build barns. They don't build barns because they're not always preparing for the worst possible scenario. And sometimes I think we do. We are so busy trying to prepare for the worst possible issues with security and money and, and health and well-being that we do not take into stock the fact that God has promised to provide what we need. In fact, this, this verse even says that he knows what you need. On the other hand, the word seek in verse 32 is a different word. It means it, ha it carries with it this idea of searching for something that is lost. Matthew uses the same word in Matthew 18, 12 as Jesus is seeking out his lost sheep. Luke 15, it, in verse 8, he uses it. He's talking about the woman, woman who's seeking out a coin that she has lost. She's seeking it. She's looking for it. She's trying to find something that was hers from the beginning that somehow she has misplaced, something that she really, really needs. Jesus' point here is pretty clear. It's if we spend all of our time chasing everything but what God wants us to find or what God is providing, our hearts will always be troubled. We will always be worried. He contrasts this, however, in Isaiah, God does in his word. In Isaiah 26, 3, he says, You, that means God, will keep the mind that is dependent upon you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. This idea of keeping our focus on the things of God, on Christ and his kingdom every day, the idea that that is really the author of our peace or the focus that brings our peace rather than trying to chase all of these other things that we think will bring us peace. We think if we're a squirrel and we store up enough nuts, life will just be good. When the, when the truth is, there will be times of plenty, as our rubber tree finds out, found out and times when provision is sparse and as Paul says in Philippians 4 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that is not a sports analogy that is look regardless of what trouble bring comes in my life if I am focused on the things of God he will get me through and it's interesting, if, if we trust that he will do that, if we know that he will do that, and if we're focused on pursuing the things he desires us to focus, it's really, really interesting how quickly that worry goes away and how quickly it is replaced by a peace that is, again, Paul says in Philippians, that surpasses all understanding. But 
the world is not in the business of trying to get us to think that way. It really kind of likes us distracted, likes us worried, likes to keep our focus off the main thing. When we're focused on everything else but the main thing in our daily lives, that is gonna, those are going to naturally become the centers of our world rather than Christ, rather than the kingdom. And so when we invest way more energy in sports or way more energy in our jobs or way more energy in pick your list in worrying in this case than we do in pursuing God and what he is calling us to or in trusting those things over and above what God can provide, we're in trouble, we're pickled. And we're never going to find that peace we desire because it's never going to be enough. It's, it's, it really requires a wholesale shift in the way we manage our world and manage our lives. So how do, we, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? Well, the first is, like the rubber plant, we anticipate his provision and not the world's. We anticipate his provision. You know, we so often look for things that are going to resolve our problems that really have no interest in resolving our issues. Politics is one of them. Uh, we can complain about politicians all day long. Um, politicians' primary goal seems to me to be far less about solving my problem or my issues or making my life better than it is about keeping the status quo moving forward. Sorry. It's the way I feel. And I feel that way because I see so many people say, if we just elect the right person, or if we just pass the right laws, that everything will be fixed. And that's just not true. That's putting our hope in things that really are not going to provide us peace, that are just going to be more for us to worry about. It distracts us from the main thing. Sometimes we anticipate that, you know, if we get this next round of, of disbursements from the government, that if we just get that check, that's going to solve some problems. Probably not. Yeah, there might be the occasional case where God is going to come through with finances and make incredible things happen. I can tell you that there was a time when Heather and I were early on in our, on in our marriage and um, I came home from work. We were looking at our bank account. Rent was due the next day and we just looked at each other and said, we don't have it. There's no way. Where are we going to get this from? And God did provide. Sometimes, again, out of necessity, right? We're, on the, we're at the end of our rope. We've tried everything else we could try. And God shows up the next day with a check that covered our rent and some groceries for that week. Tell me that's not amazing. So that little bit of cash can make a difference. But the difference is, is that God provided it. <laughs> Because that same amount of money that showed up, had it shown up any other time, would we have recognized the value of it? And would have it, would have it really solved our worries and solved the problem we were facing? Probably not. If we're looking towards a political system to fix life, or we're looking towards a little bit of money to fix life, have you ever heard the phrase, mo money, mo problems? Rich people are as messed up as we are. Seeking those things to fix your life, not going to happen. And that doesn't mean don't work. That doesn't mean don't do what you need to do to survive. But 
the notion of prioritizing it above the things of God is going to leave us wanting each and every time. So how else do we seek first the kingdom of God? Well, we prioritize the things he says we need, the things he says we need first, and the rest will take care of itself. That's exactly what he says in verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first God, and the rest will come. And sometimes I think we don't really believe that. We really don't believe, even as followers of Jesus, that if we pursue him first, that the rest of it takes care of itself. Uh, author Paul Penley, in his book, Reenacting the Way of Jesus, and, uh, highlights the fact that this phrase, this righteousness phrase, is part of the, thing, the things we are supposed to pursue, is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is what this section of scripture is, is part of, that, that that phrase righteousness actually shows up 13 times. The first one is in Matthew 5, 8, where it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, meeting hunger and thirst needs, there might be a connection here just saying to our text today. <laughs> those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's where it starts. Are you hungering and thir- thirsting first and foremost for the things of God? Because that is how your peace will come. That is how your worry will be dealt with. And that is how your needs will be filled first and foremost. But he highlights that the other 12 times, those the things that God identifies as being things that he would like us to pursue. The first is in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he talks about pursuing reconciliation, not holding your anger, anger in your heart against someone else. He talks about pursuing sexual purity. Don't look lustfully at others or, or, or want something that's not intended for you. Guard your heart, guard your mind. Talks, talks about pursuing integrity, standing by your word, being the person you say you're going to be. Talks about in Matthew 5, 38 through 47, about love for one another, caring for your enemies and not just for your friends. This concept of righteousness is applied to being authentic in chapter six. It says, don't do good things to impress people. Do them because that's what you're wired to do because you are pursuing God. It talks about pursuing charity in chapter six and per- pursuing prayer, talking to God privately, being one of these righteous things that we, we need to pursue and need to be involved in because those are the source of life. He talks about pursuing forgiveness, forgiving others so that God will forgive you. There's a connection there. An inability to forgive others really inhibits our connection to God and his capacity to forgive us. Talks about righteousness being pursuing financial prudence, not amassing excess wealth. Stop building bigger barns. Stop worrying about whether or not you've got enough nuts stored for the winter, even though you can't eat half of those nuts. Starts, he says, pursuing righteousness includes in chapter seven, it says, self reflective discernment. Don't assume others' bad motives. Again, his quote, fix your own junk first. I think is absolutely true. We are so good at picking out everybody else's messed up stuff instead of asking ourselves whether or not we're reading too much into that, we're reading our own feelings into that, or if we've dealt with it ourselves. 
He says also in chapter 7 that it's the golden rule. Treat other people. It's pursuing treating other people the way you want them to treat you. And finally, in chapter 7, verses 15 through 27, active obedience. Pursuing righteousness, the things of God, is actively obeying and doing what Jesus has taught us to do. And then our text today, right, as we're as I was busy comparing ourselves with birds and squirrels and flowers. And in verse 30, it says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? You know, one of the most difficult things about challenging Jesus is choosing, choosing, Choosing to recognize that God loves us so much that though it may feel for a moment or a season in our our lives like things are not going the way they should or the way we want them to, the fact is he has not promised us the life of a flower in the field or a bird in the sky. He has promised us an eternity with him. And something about focusing on that, on focusing on his kingdom, what it can be in my life now and what it will be for all of eternity, something about that perspective that comes with that can keep us from worrying about all of those things that at the end of the day don't really matter. It keeps us from putting our faith in things that will always let us down and keeps us focused on the joy that can happen and does happen in every moment of life. Because even in a cruddy year like 2020, so many amazing things, new life beginning, new opportunities existing, deprogramming of our connection or need to to certain sports or whatever, that was taking up our time and forcing us to focus on what really matters. Those are, those are blessings, honestly. Those are blessings from God. And they are blessings that come to us as his people who he has promised to mentor, to walk with, and to love and cherish for all of eternity. Our job is to seek him first. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he grant favor to you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. God bless.